Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. This case is about a girl named Jessica Baggin, who died in May of 1996, just a day after her 17th birthday. She was brutally raped and murdered, and this case would go unsolved for many years. It wouldn't be until new technology came along that her killer was finally identified. My sources are listed in the description area of the video. This is the case of Jessica Baggin. This story takes us all the way back to 1996. Just some things happening around the world at the time. Prince Charles and Lady Diana got divorced and it was like the biggest news ever. The average price of a new house was $118,000. Bill Clinton was reelected for a second term as U.S. president. Tupac Shakur was fatally shot after leaving a Mike Tyson fight in Las Vegas. Ted Kaczynski was arrested after years of being unknown and the average income per year was $36,000. Jessica Baggin was born May 3rd, 1979. Her parents are George and Vicki, and she has three sisters named Corey, Melissa, and Amanda. These folks live in Sitka, Alaska. The population there is 9,000 people, and the town is known for fishing, both commercial and recreational. Everyone fishes. The city is part of a large island, and you have to take a boat or a plane in order to get to it. Jessica is a typical Alaskan teenage girl and loves fishing, and she also loves cooking. She wanted to make a career out of cooking one day, and everyone says her food was really, really good. She was her family's official boat cook when they would go on these fishing expeditions. That is a job you guys would not want me to have, for real. She was even able to make sushi, which takes some serious skills. But her favorite thing was the pre-Thanksgiving Day pie-baking marathon that she does at her house, which is just adorable. <laughs> she also loved photography and thought she could make a career out of that as well. She is known for being independent and a free spirit. One thing I found that was just so cute was that Je Jessica and her friends, being these goofy teenage girls, they love to put on these silly, comically oversized sunglasses and walk around the grocery store like that, like everything was completely normal. They also love braiding each other's hair and just being teenagers. 
Recently, Jessica's dog, Sam, had gotten out and was missing. For two weeks, her family searched for her dog, and Jessica told everyone not to give up. Sam will come home eventually. The family goes camping one night, and some boaters in the area tell them that they saw a dog running around the area. Sure enough, the dog was Sam. He is hungry and tired and has had enough of his life on the run. Jessica is reunited with Sam, and it's a really happy moment for her and her family. But they had no idea what would come in the coming weeks, and their lives were about to turn upside down. The day after Jessica turned 17, this is May 4th, 1996, she walks over to her sister's home, which is at a mobile home court not too far away. This is like a small party they have going on there, and her sister is having this for her turning 17. Well, Jessica leaves late that night and is going to walk back home, which is about a mile. You have to walk down this bike path through the woods of Sitka National Park. But this is a small town with very little crime. Lots of people in town, mostly students, use this bike trail frequently. It's considered a safe area, even though it's 1 o'clock a.m. The main thing you need to be worried about is just the wildlife. There's a lot of brown bear sightings in the area. Jessica misses her curfew, and her parents think maybe they were just having fun and got, and lost track of the time. 1 o'clock a.m. is way later than Jessica's normal curfew, but she had permission to stay out later on this night only since it was her birthday and she was at her sister's house. There's no way they can just reach out to her and find her whereabouts. Remember, this is 1996, and teenagers weren't carrying cell phones around and tagging themselves at their location on social media. There was usually one computer in the house, and the whole family shared it in the living room. Social media wouldn't come for quite a few more years. Jessica's parents have had enough and decide to call police. They wait until later that evening, and then Jessica's dad goes back to the police and says she's still not home. Now panic is really beginning to set in. For the next few hours, Jessica's parents and police are piecing together her moves from the time she left her birthday party and walking the bike trail she would have taken home. For two days, investigators comb the woods and there's no sign of Jessica. Then a discovery was made and it was a discovery that left the whole town shook. On May 6, 1996, the shirt Jessica was wearing was found. Two hours later, Jessica's naked body is located. It was approximately 70 feet off the bike trail. She was buried underneath a log beneath the trunk of a hollowed-out tree that was laying on its side. Her other clothing and items she had on her were found in the same area. Jessica had been brutally attacked. Her autopsy revealed that she had been raped. She had black eyes and she had been hit in the face multiple times. Her cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation. Two things occurred. The first was her mouth was filled with fistfuls of dirt and leaves to the point where it was so full that it was going down her throat and blocking her airways, perhaps to keep her from screaming. The second was that she was strangled because a small bone in her neck was broken. Chances are he strangled her afterwards to make sure that she was really dead. Whoever did this is the most evil of evil. The way she was killed was just unfathomable. Imagine you're a teenage girl and it's late at night and you're walking down a bike path and you encounter a man standing there. You're immediately going to feel in danger. Now imagine that man running towards you and pulling you deep into the woods where you will be attacked and killed. I cannot fathom what her state of mind is in at the time and how scared she must have been. 
More than 1,500 people, over a third of the town's population back then, gathered for a candlelight vigil in the area where her body was found. A hunt for Jessica's killer is on, so every man that she was exposed to that night is a suspect, including the teenage son of one of the officers. His dad told him that his DNA would be collected from him so he could be ruled out as a suspect, and that the other men Jessica had been around that night were getting their DNA collected as well. This officer's son left the party about 15 minutes after Jessica did, so he's re- they've really got eyes on him. He says he offered Jessica a ride in his car before she left, but she said she'd rather walk. He was horrified when he learned that she was killed soon after he saw her, and he ended up getting cleared as a suspect eventually. The other men she had been around were also cleared as well. Nine days later, a man named Richard Bingham walks into the police station. Richard is a janitor who is 34 years old and works at the local college. He lived on a fishing boat in the harbor in Sitka. So Richard was a pretty bad alcoholic and would sometimes get blackout drunk. And his friends the next few days would read the paper and say things like, Richard, it must have been you that did this while you were drunk. There's this police blotter section of the newspaper, and it's famously known for just being silly. The police calls are super mild in this town. There's calls about residents playing music too loudly or some t- someone trying to pass a counterfeit $5 bill. Sometimes there's a stolen bicycle. That's about the extent of their crime in this town. They constantly tease him about stuff like this. They would read about these acts and tell Richard he must have done them while he was drunk, and these are the worst kind of friends. Richard would get upset and feel remorseful once they told him he stole a salmon from a fish market. So Richard shows up with this replacement fish and the manager tells him it's not needed. Go home. You never stole a fish. These are some awful friends, by the way. So one of his drinking buddies tells him, you know that girl that's all over the news? Well, you were in the area that night. You were blackout drunk and it could have been you that hurt that girl. Richard arrives at the police station and says he's having flashbacks of that night and remembering washing his hands in the water after throwing something in a river, and he keeps having disturbing dreams about Jessica. He thinks there's a chance it could have been him, even though Jessica was not thrown in a river. The police are going to sit with him and interrogate him for the next few hours. So Richard trusts that these respectable police officers will determine if he committed this crime or not. He's very honest and says, I'm a terrible alcoholic and I get drunk and I do dumb stuff like piss in the bushes and then pass out in it. My friends think this could have been me that night. Let's figure out if it was. If it was, I'm prepared to face whatever may come. If it wasn't, you guys can let me go and continue searching for her real killer. There were key factors about Jessica's body and the condition it was in that Richard couldn't match up with. For example, she was wearing jeans and a short sleeve shirt. They don't tell him that, but instead ask him what she was wearing when he encountered her. He says she was wearing a black dress. He also knew nothing about the dirt packed into her mouth. The rest of the details he either half agreed with or denied. There were also reddish-blonde pubic hairs that were found on Jessica's body that didn't match Richard or Jessica. The police are using a technique during interrogation, one that is helpful if used on the right person. Richard, in my opinion, wasn't a good candidate for this type of interrogation. It's called the Reed Technique, 
And it can be a wonderful thing if done correctly, but it's controversial because it's caused some folks to falsely confess. It's basically that the officers will say they have evidence that exists that links the person to the crime, even if none really exist. If you remember back to the Aaron Quinn case a few videos back, you'll remember they had used this on him, but it didn't work. He never gave in and was truly innocent in the end. I'll use myself as a mild example. If someone is using the read technique against me, they would say something like, multiple people saw you steal a banana at the grocery store yesterday. We have surveillance video of you putting it in your purse and walking out of the store. Even if I know I didn't steal the banana, I would begin to question my own sanity being told that multiple people saw me do it and they have it on video. Am I 100% sure I didn't do this? Police have also used this as a way to get a confession by pretending like they are on their side. They could say things like, look, we know she was an attractive girl and maybe she was hitting on you and things got out of hand. There was ultimately zero evidence linking Richard to this crime. His DNA was not at the crime scene and he had alibis for his whereabouts that night. But police are trying to pull this confession out of this extremely paranoid man and it works. Richard confesses to the murder of Jessica Bagan. On May 15, 1996, 10 days after the murder, Richard Bingham was arrested and charged with the murder of Jessica Bagan. Richard is taken to the prison in Juneau where he will await trial for the next 13 months. For the first few months, Richard is in protective custody, but then he is moved to general population where he is basically a target. Inmates try to get him into corners of the prison where the video cameras can't see them. Richard describes this time as the hardest time of his life. Finally, it is time for Richard's trial, and he has a public defender who is going to do her best to get the jury to find him not guilty. But with having a confession, it's going to be extremely difficult. That was until the jury was shown the video of the cops interrogating Richard. According to a psychologist who testified that she had examined Richard, Richard had intellectual difficulties and was considered a vulnerable adult. She makes sure to let everyone in the courtroom know before the interrogation was played. Watching the tape was basically just seeing a man get bullied into confessing to something he didn't do. His lawyer also made sure everyone knew Richard's DNA did not match the DNA found at the scene. After a 10-day trial, the jury goes back and deliberates for only two hours. They come out and read the verdict. Richard was acquitted of all charges. The videotaped interrogation is what saved Richard. It was obvious the cops were coercing a confession out of this guy. Richard is a free man again. His lawyer picked him up from jail and takes him to the Juneau airport. Richard knows he can't stay in Sitka. Even though he was found innocent, people would still want to kill him, and he would likely be assaulted everywhere he went. Richard flies to Seattle and then hitchhiked to Montana, where he will stay for a while. As wonderful as it is that Richard was found not guilty, they are back to square one now. The family has been through a lot thinking they had Jessica's killer behind bars, and now they don't know who it could be. It wouldn't be until over 20 years later this brings us to February 2019. Do you guys remember how those DNA test kits got super popular at, at the time? You swab your DNA and send it in and it tells you what your nationality is and where your ancestors were from. I bought one for my husband and he found out he was mostly Scandinavian and never knew he was. 
Well, millions of people submit their DNA, and sometimes it's used in criminal cases. The DNA sample that was taken from Jessica's body was uploaded into a genealogy database, and a close connection is found. A man by the name of Stephen Allen Branch. It's important to mention that this is not a match, but rather just a connection. A killer wouldn't be dumb enough to take one of those at-home DNA kits, but a distant family member could have. Stephen Allen Branch had similar genetic makeup as the killer's DNA, and he just so happened to live in the same town as Jessica at the time of her murder. They wouldn't be able to make a 100% determination without having Stephen's actual DNA sample. There's a couple ways that they could do that. He could give them a sample or they could follow him around waiting for him to dispose of an empty coffee cup or a cigarette butt and they could grab it and test it, which is 100% legal to do. We're going to rewind a bit. We're in 2019 at this point of the story, but we're going to go back to 1996. We're going to go back to two months before Jessica was killed in the town of Sitka where Jessica lives at a local grocery store. An employee goes into the break room and sees a coworker crying. She is only 18 years old. When asked what was wrong, she said she was raped by Stephen Branch, who is a local mechanic. The rape is reported to Sitka police, and they try to get her to have Stephen confess to her over a recorded phone call, but he wouldn't admit to it. In June of 1996, Steve, Stephen is arrested for the rape of this woman. This is after Richard confessed to raping and killing Jessica. People ask, why wasn't this man ever considered a suspect in Jessica's murder? You have a guy who preyed on a teenage girl and raped her. He should have been the first person on their radar. Well, because police had their guy in Jessica's murder, they were blindsided that, could, that it could have been anyone else. One thing I found kind of different is in an article in KTOO, which is an Alaskan media channel, it states that Nick Ward, who is one of the lead investigators in Jessica's case, was married to Stephen's sister. So in 1997, Stephen Branch goes on trial for felony sexual assault on this teenage grocery store worker. He cried on the stand and said it was consensual and he's very sorry for all the pain that he's caused. The jury acquitted him and he is free to go. Over the years, he paid back all the money he had to spend on legal fees and so on, and it was kind of forgotten about. He and his family continued to live in Sitka for another 14 years, and in 2010, they moved to Arkansas. Little bit more background on Steve Branch in the time between 1996 and 2019 when a connection was found. Stephen has a wife named Barbara and two children, Justin and Brittany. He also had grandchildren. He enjoys fishing, hun hunting, and outdoor sports. In 2020, he was 66 years old and worked as an excavator operator. This puts him at 43 years old at the time of Jessica's murder. In January of 2020, Sitka police get in touch with Arkansas State Police and ask them to get a discarded sample of Stephen's DNA. I explained to you earlier how you could do this. Just wait for him to toss his Dunkin' Donuts coffee cup into a trash receptacle and then go over and grab it. But they were unable to get that opportunity after three weeks. They had their eyes on him, though. So the police go to his home in Arkansas to question him. After 24 years, I'm sure he never saw this coming. He was likely watching a football game on the couch and hears a knock on the door. When he opens it, he's stunned to see two police officers standing there. 
Stephen tells them he was living in Sitka, Alaska with his family at the time, but he has no idea who Jessica was. He also says he doesn't even remember hearing about her rape and murder, which is completely false since it was the biggest news story in the town's history, but okay. The officers tell him they would like him to provide a sample of his DNA, which he laughs and declines. They say, well, if you don't give us a sample, we're just going to run over here to the courthouse and get a piece of paper called a warrant, and that will require you to provide a sample of your DNA. With this warrant, if he declines, they can hold him down and forcibly take a sample. So the officers leave to obtain the warrant. Within 30 minutes, Stephen Branch is dead. Stephen had committed suicide. He got in his truck and drove to an isolated part of his property and shot himself in the head. If that's not an admission of guilt, I don't know what is. They did get a warrant for Stephen's DNA, and they were able to obtain the sample during Stephen's autopsy. They tested the sample against the killer's DNA that was found on Jessica 24 years earlier, and it was a 100% match. Stephen Branch is Jessica's killer. On August 10, 2020, the chief of the Sitka Police Department knocked on Jessica's parents' door to tell them that after 24 years, their daughter's killer was identified and that he just took his own life. Jessica finally had justice, even though a jury would never have the opportunity to convict Stephen Branch. The following day, the Department of Public Safety announced to the media that Jessica wasn't forgotten even after all these years. Her killer was found and her case was over. You may be wondering whatever happened to Richard Bingham, who spent 13 months in jail for a crime he didn't commit. He was interviewed by KTOO News in 2020. When the news reached Richard that Jessica's killer had been identified, he said, doggone it, it still gets me upset. He lives in Washington and works for a temp agency. He still loves to drink beer and wears an eye patch now. He's also in poor health and has multiple sclerosis. He has a girlfriend and likes watching TV and is good at repairing watches and buys old watches and fixes them up for like new for extra money. He has not been back back to Sitka, Alaska, because that's the town that ruined his life. Even though he was found innocent, he says it cost him his job as a janitor at the school and also his boat that he was living in. His words were that the boat wasn't very nice, but it was his home. The cloud of suspicion continued to follow him all his life, and he was always looked at like he was guilty. Richard hopes that a lawyer will see his story and help him sue or receive a settlement for what happened to him. I feel for Richard, and I wish this would have never happened to him. To me, it's scary to think about Stephen Branch during those 24 years between Jessica's murder and him being identified. He seemed like a productive member of society. He had a good job and a wife and children and eventually grandchildren, probably known as nice old Mr. Steve to the neighborhood kids. It makes me wonder if you really know people. Maybe the nice cashier you see working at the gas station once killed someone and just hasn't been caught yet. Stephen Branch could have been anyone. Somebody you pull up to at a red light or someone who comes to your house to do repairs or a million other instances. I hope Jessica's family was able to get some kind of closure. I hope she's resting in peace knowing her killer can never hurt anyone again. If alive today, Jessica would be 43 years old. Rest peacefully, pretty girl. My heart is with you and your family. That's it for this week. My sources are listed in the description area of the video. Take care and much love to you all.